I'm Tom Morello, host of Maximum Firepower, a weekly podcast focusing on the music, the moments, and the movements that have shaped my worldview and left an indelible mark on me as an artist and activist. Correct with Maximum Firepower. You and me. This is Tom Morello's Maximum Firepower. I'm Tom Morello, and here we are with Taylor Momsen, who's been the singer of The Pretty Reckless and an excellent rocker. And welcome to the show. Taylor, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me, man. Good, good. My pleasure. We uh, first became acquainted uh, at the Chris Cornell Memorial concert, or in rehearsals for that, where we played the song Loud Love together. And you were just awesome, and it was very, it was a bittersweet event, but. There was a lot of great music and sort of, you know, connections made. Yeah, 100%. It was a very emotional evening, I think, is a, a simple way to say it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You were great, as always. And, well, you know. thanks. I mean, everybody was like, so how was the, how did you enjoy the show? I'm like, I thought the evening was pretty heavy. Like, I had yeah. to be there. I wanted to be there. I wanted to show up and show out for, you know, for Chris and his memory. But it was like, I've pretty much stayed in the dressing room, no, you know. I don't know if enjoy is exactly the right Enjoy thing. is not really the right, but uh, it was very important. And before we get to sort of the meat of the matter of the show, it's like everybody in the world who was a fan of Chris Cornell knew that that was happening that night. You know what I mean? Like the, for those four or five hours, whatever it was, that Chris was really getting his due from people who had known him, people who had been in bands with him, people who his children were fans of, you mm -hmm. know, like there was all kind of in, in one room. And so that was, I was glad to be able to be a part of that with you. Yeah, and, it's and, very cool. And I felt very honored to be a part of it. Like, and you rocked loud love really hard. That was awesome. Uh, okay, so this round of Maximum Firepower shows, we're doing top 10 lists, casual top 10 lists as if we were sitting in the back room of the uh, Rainbow Bar and Grill, discussing and debating whatever topic came to mind. And today's topic, which has come to mind, is the 10 greatest reinventions in rock and roll slash music. And Taylor, I'm gonna let you start with what's number one on your list of uh, reinventions. All right, well, I like this topic because at first I was a little thrown by it and now I'm, I'm into it. So uh, okay. my first one I'm gonna go with is Pink Floyd. Okay, great. Pink Floyd, I think had a pretty incredible reinvention. I mean, after, you know, they started out as this psychedelic pop band and then after losing Sid Barrett, you know, came back with arguably some of the greatest records of all time. I mean, incredible, incredible. Roger Waters and David Gilmore really just honed into something, something magical and really yeah. kind of into their own with, you know, obviously Dark Side of the Moon, The Wall, like, I don't even know if I need to list the records, but, uh, and became, you know, one of the biggest stadium bands of all time. So if that's not a reinvention, I don't know what No, is. I mean, I think, I, think, <laughs> I think you've set the bar pretty high for our list making, but no, I completely agree with you. I mean, I mean, and that's a band that you could argue reinvented itself twice. Oh, oh yeah, know? multiple times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But certainly, I mean, they were a band that was renowned Mm -hmm. You know, with Sid Barrett at its head, and oh, fantastic you know, man! Yeah, it was like a, it was like a leader of a psychedelic movement, and mm -hmm. then you lose your lead singer, who LSDs himself into insanity, and then the guy that replaced him happens to be one of the greatest guitar players of all time, oh, and the huh. guy, yeah, exactly, and the guy who emerges as the songwriter is a genius. He's a genius. He has this like underlying immense depth and yeah. so much to say and so much prolificness. It's just it's yeah. I mean, that's yeah. just insane. Like, I can't imagine life without Pink Floyd records. Right, right, right. And so in its own way, it was like, I mean, that is a crazy reinvention. And then like the second reinvention is, you know, after the acrimonious falling out and Roger Water goes goes on to a, a solo career, which is not 
commercially like Pink Floyd was. Amazing though. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a, it is amazing. Like Amused to Death is one of my favorite records from his solo career. But then you've got like the other guys who, you know, Roger, I had the opportunity to speak with him about this, is kind of somewhat dismissive of, and he's kind of like, those guys are never going to do anything and Pink Floyd's dead because I'm not in anymore. And then they they ring up Bob Ezra. <laughs> and they're like, I know. And they're like, hey, let's make a Pink Floyd record. And it's... I'm the other half of Pink Floyd. I can do it too. Like. Exactly. Ex exactly. And they make these records, which, you know, have almost as much commercial success. I mean, Roger told the story of, you know, he was very proud of these solo records he was making, but there was one time in Cleveland where he was playing a half full theater during the same week where Pink Floyd was playing two football stadiums. An excellent first choice of... Uh, trying to start it off. Start it yeah. off. <laughs> okay, okay. Hot start. Okay, so my first choice for band reinventions would be a band called The Clash. Yep. Now, The Clash arrived in the wake of the 77 punk revolution in England. And, you know, they were guys that stood in the crowd watching the Sex Pistols and went, we have to make a band like that. Uh, and on their first record, they very much did. A spectacular punk rock record, you know, and high in the top two punk rock records of all time. But then they really took the bull by the horns and decided that we can have a punk spirit and have a punk ethos and not be tied to a particular set of production values or a limited number of chords. And they were unleashed in that regard, I think, for completely expand their sound. Three reasons. One is they had Topper Hedden, the drummer, was a spectacular drummer who was able to like a chameleon, he could play funk and he could play jazz and he could play rockabilly and whatnot, which allowed their creativity. And then Mick Jones was so forward-looking in his vision. The Clash had a hip-hop hit, you know, of the Magnificent Seven dance and on a New York radio station, just always looking for new songs. And then the thing that originally set them apart was the reggae influence from the neighborhood where the bass player Paul lived. He could hear, he said he could hear it just coming through the wall of his apartment. And so they were able to really reinvent themselves multiple times throughout their career and really transcend what it meant to be punk. That's an excellent first choice. Appreciate that. All right, what do you got for number two? All right, number two. Um, I guess I'll dive right in. I'm gonna go Soundgarden. I mean, as we all know, massive Soundgarden fan. And to, you know, start off your career as the way they did with so many great records and then break up or however you want to call it, stop making music mm -hmm. together. And then to come back 13 years or something, 13, sure. yeah. 13 years later with King Animal is arguably better than ever, like coming back yeah. better than ever, like more slicker, more mature. Mm -hmm. It's such a complicated record. I mean, all Soundgarden's complicated, but it's just so... My mind was blown when King Animal came out. Like, yeah, I, yeah. I was so excited and it didn't disappoint at all because you never know what to expect when a band's been away for that long. That's and correct. Back just so, in my kind of personal opinion, I feel like Chris Cornell was really kind of, he had really found, like he was in his prime. Yeah, and absolutely. He kind of reinvented himself as almost a technical singer. Like I feel like in the beginning side of the beginning of his career, he was trying to figure out how to do what he was doing, you know, mm -hmm, what I mean? mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and by the time King Animal came around, he had really nailed that down and figured out how to repeat it and like perfected it. It was just amazing. So that was to come back 13 years later after not playing together and be arguably better than ever. I think that's a reinvention. Yeah, yeah, incredible. I would say, you know, sort of even within the body of the first Soundgarden Mach 1, you know, mm -hmm. going from that kind of those sub pop records that are just yeah. so raw and crazy. And I remember even when like Bad Motor Figure came out, my friends and I who were like, Soundgarden's awesome, but nobody's ever going to hear them. 
because they're just too crazy and it's too but all of a sudden there were songs now you know and then and then even that band the bad motorfinger band you never would have imagined black hole sun or fell on black days being something that that band could do and in that constant evolution is a was a big part of the you know the makeup of the band and chris's voice all along the way it's amazing yeah and to see i to comment on the songs too it's, i think that's the other huge part of their evolution is the songwriting just progressively got more and more intricate and better and more detailed where like within all this madness that is Soundgarden, there's this core song that is just absolutely yep. incredible that it's the, the so as the listener you know you might not understand everything that's happening around in the you know music mm -hmm. stuff mm -hmm. it's complex but like at its core you can connect to what's being sung at you you know yeah because they're great songs at the at the heart of them without the with or without the window dressing of the technical ability. Yeah. I mean, and then you add all that and it's just like, yeah. well, I quit, I quit. Yeah. <laughs> so. All right, so my next one is going to be, it's a little bit more of a behind the scenes reinvention. It's the band Tool. The reason why I've chosen Tool for this list is because I knew several members of the band very, very well before they had any inclination of even playing music. Adam Jones and I uh, went to high school together where Adam was the bass player oh, wow. in, in my punk rock band that I played then. And then he later moved to Hollywood to become a successful prosthetic makeup artist. He worked for Stan Winston Studios. He worked on the Jurassic Park movies and the Freddy Krueger movies. He was like a grown man with a great creative job making awesome, scary special effects. He was like, you know, our bro that did well. The rest of us yeah. were struggling in bands around town. He played in high school and he was done and had a great career. Maynard was the boyfriend of like another pal from Libertyville who just came, they came and stayed in our apartment for a while. So he met, you know, Adam through that, but we were just for years, he was a guy that he worked at Petco or something like that. He, okay. he did like Feng Shui Petco stuff, whatever. Okay. Um, and so he, but he, he had like a company car. They were grownups in jobs. And then I think, you know, they, they hung out a bunch and would go to club shows. My band, my pre-Rage Against the Machine band was playing. And there was a club called Raji's in town. I remember very, once very sheepishly, Maynard said to me, he said, I think, you know, Adam and I are going to, you know, put a little band together to try to play a show at Raji's. And I was like, oh, that's so sweet. You know, how nice, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we went bowling. You went to the pet store. You worked your job. I was struggling in bands. Then this was late 90, early 91, where they did, let's just sort of a friends and family, you know, like, here's our band. Oh, they got yeah. They got a local drummer, Danny Carey, was playing in another band, and a guy had moved down from Seattle. They called the band Tool, and we all just went to go like, oh, check it out, here's our friends, they're gonna, and it was one of the best fucking bands in the world from the first show. That's and awesome. I, and I remember just going like, how could well, that- tell me. <laughs> how could that possibly be? Those guys instantly tapped into a deep well of artistry that was there all along, but somehow emerged with the, the chemistry of those four musicians. But I could, I mean, I remember just like jaw on the floor from the first show going, well, that's the pet store guy and the prosthetic <laughs> makeup artist guy and a borrowed drummer and a dude who moved down from Seattle and their tool. It's like, hey, yeah, come see my band. It's no yes. big deal. And then jaw on the, yeah, yeah. hey, just like, I, I would try something. You didn't tell me you were awesome. What? What? <laughs> I'm Tom Morello, and this is Maximum Firepower, my podcast. Taylor Momsen and I are going through our top 10 reinventions. Next one. I guess my next one, I'll go with the Beatles. Kind sure. of the, the quintessential reinvention artist. Sure. You know, obviously starting off with, you know, as a very almost simple pop band, you know, with Love Me Do and I Want to Hold Your Hand and all that stuff. And, you know, I think any Beatles fan will say, you know, with them evolving into Rubber Soul and Revolver, of just 
going into, you know, like it's it's just crazy to think about that started with I want to hold your hand and ends up with Starboard Fields Forever. Like, yes, yeah. In a short period of time. A short period, a short period of, time. of time. Yeah, yeah. The amount of artistry and creativity that they exuded and just went for in such a short amount of time is yeah. is mind blowing. It's absolutely mind blowing. So I feel like they're just kind of, how can you not say the Beatles on a reinvention list? And it's not just, you know, going from the early Beatles to the later Beatles either. It's, they did it on every record. It's That's right. Constantly doing it. But I think that, that if you want to go drastic, it's early to like, you know, rubber yeah. and then obviously keeps going and there's Sgt. Peppers and Abbey Road and all that. And the boldness of that, too, because when you're, you know, the biggest band in the world, there may have been either internal or external pressure to repeat the formula. Of course. You know, like repeat the formula. Like, Change it, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, give me another I want to hold your hand for the next 10 records and we'll be good. You know, then they clearly they were feeling their oats and going like, oh, we can do anything and it's going to be awesome. And that allowed them the, the free reign to be the Beatles that we know. The Beatles. And I mean, I think that's I mean, the Beatles are my favorite band of all time, just partially because of that, because like for a rock and roll band, they've literally covered everything like that's every, right. they tap into everything every genre every kind of emotion every kind like it's just it's so widespread that it yeah. and yet it all feels the same yet it all yep. feels like the beatles like it all feels like that's right it is i mean it is those bands that are blessed like the beatles and the clash who are able to kind of skate between genres or create their own genres in some yeah. case and yet maintain a real core identity it's it's funny because it's a blessing and of course i think that you perhaps on your list may have a band named acdc which we'll talk about in a second but oh uh yeah but <laughs> um but it is funny it's like there's the blessing and the curse of the beatles because every band at some point goes we're going to make our white album. Now, maybe some bands should make their white album and maybe some bands should just be the band that they are. You know, like ACDC is sort of the opposite end of the spectrum. And, but, I feel but like the, I struggle with that all the time because I feel yeah. like our records are kind of all over the spectrum. Like I love a lot of different music and yet it's all, it's all rooted in rock and roll, but it's, yeah. But, you know, you can go from like our new record, a song like Death by Rock and Roll to a song called Got So High and they're completely polar opposite. And yes. fit on a record and it's always been kind of a, a struggle to figure out exactly where we fit in like markets and things like yeah. that. And yet it's all fits under the umbrella of pretty reckless, but it's, right, right. it's a unique problem to have, I guess. And, it, yeah. and it's, it's the problem of following the Beatles as your Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, it, it's it's something you can do because they did it. So why not give it a shot? It. But uh, you know, it shot. even if they weren't the Beatles, you know, the biggest band in the world, I feel like they would have struggled with that as well. Yes, like, yeah, yeah. You don't fit into a box, and especially in nowadays, I mean, it's they just everyone wants to fit you in some sort of box, and like you stay there, and we know how to market you, and we that's know right. how to advertise you, and all that. That's right. Well, I don't fit in that one box, though. This song fits in that box, but what right. about ten? Right, you know? exactly, exactly, exactly. Well, that's what our reinvention show. So my my next reinventor, who I'm a huge fan of, is an artist by the name of Lady Gaga. Everybody listening to this who loves metal thinks is about to turn the channel, but that's totally okay. I love <laughs> I love Lady Gaga. And, uh, and, I like it. So, so the reinvention, there's been multiple reinventions, but the principal one is from her kind of, I always thought she had more in common with Alice Cooper than Madonna there's a tremendous amount of talent. Like she can sing her ass off. She can play the piano beautifully. She's got an artistic vision, but there's like sort of a dark core to it, which I was drawn to. But the transition of course, is from going from wearing a dress made of meat to, you know, being a Chanteuse singing with Tony Bennett, yeah. um, you know, and in a way that is equally compelling and then standing on stage at the Oscars with the, you know, like the young woman in the meat dress. I did not foresee any of that coming. Her, like some of the others we're talking about, I think there's just a, a deep well of talent and a fearlessness in exploring that talent in 
a multiplicity of ways that are authentic that has led to those successful reinventions. Yeah, the Alice Cooper comparison is actually interesting. I never thought of it like that before. It's a, it's because she's also very theatrical. That's a very, very good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're doing our best here. We're doing our best. All right, uh, your next uh, reinvention. All right, well, I'll throw it out there because you already said it. It's Let's AC go. Let's AC go. Because yeah. how can you not talk about that? I mean, how can you not? It's one of the best reinventions ever. I mean, like losing Bon Scott, devastating, highway to hell, you know, great record. What are you going to do? What blew my mind the most about it is to go from Bon Scott with highway to hell in 1979 and to come back with Brian Johnson in back in black in 1980, less than a year those records came out and to come back with one of the biggest rock records of all time. And they didn't necessarily change their sound, but it they kind of almost the same thing where they honed it into yeah. this, what they were already doing and just expounded upon it and tightened it and made it just ultimately epic. It is an incredible reinvention because you know it's, it's a band that worked for years and ye like really in the van driving across the outback, you know? <laughs> Can you imagine being at a show where ACDC was booed off the stage? <laughs> it's hard to imagine now. But, it's hard to but imagine, but it happened. But they paid every due and every mm -hmm. all the dues a band could possibly pay to crawl their way to that moment of Highway to Hell. And now we've got our shot. We're in the conversation now, and you lose one of the most charismatic singers of yep. all time and come back with the biggest selling rock record in history at the time a fan to think you know i was wasn't around in 1980 but like just think yeah. about like if highway to hell came out today i'd be like this is the greatest thing ever how are yeah. you gonna beat that like yeah, 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 yeah. and then yeah. the comes back in black it's like head goes back like right 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 yeah damn like it's just just absolutely that's crazy to me and and brian johnson's so incredible too like you know bon scott had such a unique voice and it's mm -hmm. like how are you gonna find another singer that can do that the whole his whole energy of course, there are some fans that prefer Bon Scott, some, but like they didn't lose an inch. Like I was there in 1980 and you know, I was I was a big fan of ACDC and all of a sudden back with Black I'm like, I think they got better. How is that they possible? They lost that? the guy that I loved and it's yeah. just spectacular. So anyway, I'm going to go with a fellow by the name of Ozzy Osbourne for reinvention. For, I almost for, went there. For, for, for my next one, because he's the head of the band that invents metal as we know it. And he's the dark prince of darkness of extra darkness of none extra more darkness. <laughs> none none more dark you know but then there's also these drug and alcohol problems you know there's times in sabbath's history where he's not even they don't even put him in the center of the stage you know because it's sort of and they consider him the weak link you know and he is down and out and in some hollywood hotel with a bottle of booze and you think ah that was nice while it lasted and this is a double reinvention away so then he finds randy rhodes and makes two of the greatest rock records of all time, you know, with Blizzard of Oz and Diary of a Madman, which then have led to another 30 plus years of world dominance and cultural, like heavy metal fans knew who Ozzy Osbourne was. Now everyone in the world knows who Ozzy Osbourne is uh, yes. and the culture. It's, it's, it's just incredible. Then at the same time, a reinvention, which was almost equally surprising, was Black Sabbath lost a singer at the same time in Ozzy Osbourne and got Ronnie James Dio and made some of my favorite Heaven and Hell mob rules. They reinvent. So that was like sort of a double, everybody won. Double-edged reinvention. A double, like the, a great band lost a great singer and yet somehow we all benefited from it with a lot more great music. Well, that's a great one. That's good. Yeah. I had that on my list and then I was like, no. The more I kept last night, I kept thinking about it and I kept coming up with more and more. Yeah. So I was like, okay, well, uh, I'll stick to my first five. 
I'm going to go with your band, Audio Slave, because I actually have a few questions and I love all the records, but the first Audio Slave record is just a masterpiece. It's perfect from one end to the other. And to go from Rage Against the Machine and losing your singer and then continuing on as a band, as Rage Against the Machine and finding a new singer and creating a new project at the same time that Chris Cornell left Soundgarden. I've heard the story on the radio. <laughs> like, I've heard you tell it of like, with in intro yeah. and the gothic outfit and everything. Yeah, but I'll I, be happy I, to tell you I, again. I'd uh, love to hear it from you Because the, the, meeting, the meeting is pretty, I had, you know, I had seen Chris around a couple of times, like at a Lollapalooza, but had never spent any time with him. And in 2000, Tim and Brad and I knew we wanted to play together and we knew we wanted whatever we did next. We wanted Rick to make our next record. So we spent every day over at Rick's house, just listening to CDs and watching videos and just taking our time, like sort of exploring what might be creatively exciting. We kept returning to Bad Motor Finger. You know, that was the record, I get, and especially the song Slaves and Bulldozers. And, and we would just be like all rocking super hard to that. Probably not so awesome. Super hard, super hard to that. But the more you like listen to it with an ear of not just a fan, but like, who's this person? And I call up Chris and I say, can just have a conversation. He was stay, living in Ojai at the time. And so me and Rick drive up there and uh, we get there around dusk. And of course, Chris lives at the, you know, the last top of the scariest last spooky hill in the in the yeah. forest there and the darkening skies and we pull up <laughs> and it's this kind of spooky spanish style mansion and you know the dusk continues to fall there's a couple motorcycles out front this long kind of castle dracula staircase that leads yeah, it's up to a vampire's house it's, it's full-on vampire's house that leads <laughs> up to like the gilded doors you know and rick and i are kind of looking at each other and the doors open straight up adam's family style like you know like like with no one opening the doors and out steps Chris Cornell, you know, six foot two, lanky of frame and dark of countenance. You know, when he begins to sort of the slow walk down the stairs, Rick turns to me and goes, let's get the fuck out of here. <laughs> like our, our souls are in peril. You know, and, and fortunately, we don't chicken out and we have a meeting and, you know, and spend six years together and make three records that I'm really, really proud of. But in playing with Chris, it was really a renewal and an artistic rebirth and an awakening. And we all created that stuff in the room together. And it just was the chemistry was great. And, and it was it did feel like a healthy reinvention. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like one. It sounds yeah. like those records are records that needed to be made. Absolutely. In the history of music, there's not as many records like that as there should be, like records that need to exist. Yeah, yeah. One of the most awesome bands. Yeah, time. well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. You're very, you're too bad. So back for that one. Okay, so <laughs> my, my last reinvention is, I think, one of the most miraculous ones in the history of rock music. It's a fellow by the name of Dave Grohl. Okay. And now Dave Grohl was a hell of a drummer, and everybody knew it in a band called Nirvana that broke ground everywhere that ground could be broken and ushered in a brand new era of exciting and compelling music. His part in rock history was, he's up there regardless for that work. And then that band, you know, Kurt tragically commits suicide. And now we have a band called the Foo Fighters. I remember someone sent me a cassette of, they're like, this is Dave Grohl's new band. And I just was like, who's the singer? And like, Dave Grohl, I'm like, well, that's, un I know, I remember, I remember he was a background. I remember sometimes seeing him with a mic, at Nirvana, but my thought was, this is audacious that someone would inflict upon me, like <laughs> would inflict upon me the artistic, the artistic vision of the drummer of Nirvana. Like, <laughs> and I put it on, I was like, I mean, that's really like good, man. Like, that's crazy. That's him singing and those are his, you know, and now cut to yeah. for the last 
15, 20 years, they've been a stadium band. And, you know, the archetype of what rock and roll is over the last couple of decades. And so I got to just hats off to Dave Grohl. For, hats for off that. to Dave Grohl. That is a, that's a great way to end it. Yeah, that's a great reinvention. Because, yeah, of course, who's going to think the drummer is going to come out and be yeah. the biggest yeah. rock band of all time? We're <laughs> already in one of the biggest rock bands. That's right. That's right. I mean, it's uh, so you just never know. Never, never underestimate someone working at a pet store or being a drummer or whatever. Yeah, they're, they're, never know. Or being the bass player in Pink Floyd. I mean, this, the common thread in all of this is that you never know. But Taylor, anyway, thank you so much. It's love. Well, first of all, it's lovely to see you. And, and, know, and, it's, and, and, and it's been a minute. It has <laughs> been a minute. We haven't even like really talked, like not on Zoom. So congratulations on everything. And oh, so, thanks. Yeah. Cool. Thank you so much for being a part of that. Of course, it was my pleasure. I love that. I rock that jam on my radio station all the time. It's, it was such an honor to, to be a part of that. It's a great song and great record, too. It's so. a fun song. It's, it's, uh, it's interesting live. We'll see how that one Yeah, <laughs> good, good. Yeah, well, it'll be it's great. Pretty, pretty when we yeah. get out there, though, you got to come up and... I would be happy to. But safe travels out there and uh, take care and lots of love, and I'll see you down the road. Awesome. Thanks so much, Tom. Oh, all right. Oh, thanks. Peace. So good to see you. Okay. Bye, Taylor. Bye. Thanks very much for listening, everybody. This has been Tom Morello's Maximum Firepower Podcast. Until next time, take it easy, but take it. Let foes of justice tremble. This has been Tom Morello's Maximum Firepower. Hear this episode again or listen to past shows right now on the SiriusXM app. Search Maximum Firepower.